It's time for the Talent Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2, a nationwide leader in background checks and employment screening solutions. People G2 gives their clients access to the best human capital management and due diligence tools available. They are dedicated to helping their clients with all of their people-related decisions. To learn more, go to www.peopleg2.com. Talent Talk centers on the topics of talent recruitment and management, leadership development, company culture, and employee engagement. These are all timely topics for CEOs, entrepreneurs, HR professionals, and business leaders. We hope that as you tune in to listen each week, whether to the live broadcast or to the podcast on iTunes or iHeartRadio, that you hear something you can take away that will help you grow and impact your career in a positive way. And now, here's the host of the Talent Talk Radio Show, the founder and CEO of People G2, Chris Dyer. Welcome to the Talent Talk Radio Show. I'm excited to be here and to have a fantastic guest with me today. We're going to focus in on just one guest, talk to one person, and hopefully learn some awesome stuff uh, as we go along. And that's really what this show is all about, is hopefully learning from someone who is, is doing amazing things with talent, is extremely talented themselves, uh, and really find out what they're doing out in the world so that we can learn from them. We can maybe take something back that they said that they're doing uh, back to our organizations and hopefully improve. And we've had so many amazing stories uh, over the years of doing this. Uh, they've filled two books now. So my first book, The Power of Company Culture, has got a lot of cool stories in it. And then my recent book that just came out, Remote Work. Uh, of course, we've been talking about remote work for, for quite a long time now, but with the pandemic, it really came into focus. So if you're interested in either one of those, you know, wherever you find books, I'm sure you can find those titles. We do love to interact with everyone and, and live tweet and, and talk about uh, the show, you know, in the digital sense on social. So if you want to follow us at PeopleG2 on Twitter or the hashtag Talent Talk, you can get lots more information there and access to links and profiles as we go through the show. And of course, whether you are watching on YouTube or you're listening on iHeartRadio, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, don't forget to subscribe because that way you'll never miss an episode going forward. And let the little bots do their do their magic and remind you anytime we have a new show that's up. So let's talk about who we're going to have on the show today. My guest today will be David Fivecoat. He's the managing partner at the Fivecoat Consulting Group. Um, he is a speaker, an executive coach, an entrepreneur, uh, a veteran, a managing partner. Uh, like I said, at uh, Fivecoat Consulting Group. And he's also the author of Grow Your Grit. So, David, welcome to the show. Chris, thanks for having me. I'm super excited to talk to you and your audience today. Yeah. Well, so why don't you tell them a little bit about yourself? What's important for us to know maybe beyond the little snippet, the little intro there that I gave you? Yeah. So, um, so Chris, I, I served uh, 24 years in the, in the Army. I was an infantry officer commissioned from West Point. Uh, and along the way, I did uh, three trips to Iraq and a trip to Afghanistan, 41 months in combat. But throughout my time in the Army, I was always passionate about uh, developing leaders, working on trying to improve folks' habits, and then also trying to work on improving folks' grit. So four years ago in 2017, I, I left the Army, retired from the Army, and, and started working in corporate America. And about 18 months ago, I decided I wasn't being gritty enough. And so I decided to, to found my own company <laughs> on the cusp of the, the pandemic. And so for the last 18 months, I've been uh, running my own company, which is an executive coaching and leadership training company, like you, you mentioned in the intro. Uh, but I've had a lot of opportunities to work with great companies across the country, uh, work with great individuals on the coaching side, 
and uh, see them learn and grow. So I'm sure that in your time, uh, in, in many different contexts, you've seen great leadership, you've seen terrible leadership. Uh, and I think one of the fascinating things that I've always asked people who've been in the service, uh, has been a veteran for as long as you have, you know, I think in the context of a life or death situation and then being in, in the armed forces, there's, I think there's a clarity, there's a focus for people when they're there, right? Especially if you're in very dangerous situations, if you're in, in a wartime situation. Um, and I think that can really focus people, right? And then I've seen, you know, people come back and they come into the business world where there isn't that focus. It isn't life or death, right? It isn't this kind of, and you don't maybe have the purpose and the, the alignment on why we're doing what we're doing. It's for some people just a job. So I'm kind of wondering if we start there, like, where do you see the differences or are there differences? And, and then was that an adjustment for you to kind of have to, to deal with that? Hit on it, something that I've been thinking about a lot lately. You know, I've, I've spent four years now outside of the army and then 24 years in, and there was a transition period there. You're spot on that, you know, there's a purpose, uh, a higher purpose, higher calling uh, in the military, which, which I think everybody sort of wants, whether, you know, you see that with folks that follow sports teams, you know, they want to be part of something bigger than themselves. And the military provides that. I do think that uh, as now a veteran, uh, lots of veterans struggle with that when they leave the military. They had this; they're part of something bigger than themselves, and then they struggle to find that uh, on the the corporate side. One of the things that I think helped me, at least identity-wise, uh, as I made that transition, was I was able to be an athlete both in the military. Uh, you know, the army's you know, of course, famous for for doing physical fitness early in the morning. You know, we do more before before nine a.m. than most people do all day. And I was able to continue my physical fitness uh, post-Army. And I raced some triathlons. I'm now racing uh, bicycles. Um, and that was one of the things or, or that enabled me to hold on to some sort of identity as I tried to find my corporate uh, identity or that thing that I'm trying to do bigger than myself. I now have this my own company, which, of course, provides me a purpose. I'm, I'm really uh, dedicated to trying to help folks learn and grow, uh, develop their grit, develop their leadership tools uh, with some ideas that that I bring from the military and from what I've now seen in corporate America. So it, kind of given all of your experience and, and being where you're at now, what are you seeing for, you know, for leaders? Uh, maybe the senior leaders might be a, a little bit better way to clarify this. You know, what sort of qualities do you think they need to have in today's uh, environment here in the in the private sector outside of the basics where do, where do you see the sort of the best qualities for people especially if they're trying to get hired yeah um, so so talking senior leaders or sort of c-suite kind of folks at that level I think one of the biggest challenges is communication the second which goes hand in hand with that is the management of their own time because one of the biggest decisions for you as a leader is where do you dedicate your own time this may not help them with getting hired but it does help them with developing their skill set so they're able to move up to an, another higher, more demanding job. The folks that struggle with their skill set as they move up levels, what worked for them at one level uh, doesn't work at the next level because all of a sudden your time is even more crunched. And how do you impact that organization? How do you communicate to that organization? What manner are you doing it? Where are you spending time? Are you forced to spend all your time behind emails? Or are you able to get out and actually see people and talk to them and interact with them and develop that personal connection that maybe gives you a feel for the business or, or the division? 
set you up for success in, in that C-suite. Those two things, both communications and how you're communicating to the organization, and then also your time management as that leader. Everybody's busy. Everybody only has 24 hours a day, and you got to maximize that time uh, so you can make that impact on the organization. As you were describing your uh, you know, time in, in the military, I thought, wow, they really did a great job of attracting great talent in you, but also getting you to come back, right, and retaining you. And get, I mean, you weren't you weren't working at some you know base in I don't know in Georgia, right? You weren't hanging out you know stateside. You were in pretty hostile territory, pretty difficult you know situations, and yet you chose to go back again and again, multiple times. So. What sort of lessons do you maybe have for, for the audience to think about how, how do they continue to attract great talent? How do they continue to retain their talent uh, regardless of what the situation is? So I'll talk about me personally, my approach to the Army. So when I graduated from West Point, I owed a five-year commitment to the Army. And then when it came close to that five-year commitment, so I was 28, 20, 27, 28 at that point in time, I made the assessment of, hey, I'm going to stay in the Army till it stops being fun. And it seemed like every single time I would get a new challenge, uh, a new job, uh, a new sort of thing that was fun and yet was, was a challenge. And I'm driven by those challenges. I, I enjoy that. You know, part of the repeated trips to Iraq and Afghanistan, which I didn't know even post 9-11 uh, if I was going to see combat. I didn't go into Afghanistan right away, right after uh, 9-11. My first combat tour was in Iraq in 2003. Even when I did that one, I didn't know I was going to go back another three times. But the challenge was out there. Folks, uh, leaders and mentors kept finding challenges for me or things that were interesting or a great group of people to work with. And that kept me engaged. I think that's the same with, with corporate America. You know, Folks stay in jobs because they have great bosses or great folks that are, they're working for them. It's not necessarily those higher things. You know, they, they may work for a great company that, that does great things for the, for the world. But the fact that they have a good boss and a good team that they're working with is that thing that makes it fun and makes it fun to come to work and uh, keep, keep contributing to the team. Well, certainly having a good boss and, you know, being connected to the organization that you work for are all important. But I think the other thing that you were saying there was, you know, you had opportunities to do interesting things that probably were fit in your wheelhouse, right? There were things where you could succeed, where you could do well. And I often surprises me with organizations. They'll ask people to do things because they're good at doing things, right? They're, they're like an A player or whatever, but they're ultimately doing a whole bunch of tasks that they hate, that aren't really aligned with who they are. And aren't. Like, I want people doing what they're really strong at, what they're passionate about, what makes them have energy and avoid, like actively avoid and say no <laughs> to things that, that drain them, right? That they don't like. But we seem to put these A players into like, well, go fix this thing, go do this thing because you're a good employee. But that, that's not a good challenge, right? It's not something they want and then they leave. Or we stress them out so much, they do, they're working so hard that their only way to get out from under it is to leave. I've, I've seen this time and time again. Right? It happens out with teachers. Uh, they get so overwhelmed that they'll, they'll leave and go to a different school just so they can start fresh, right? Kind of without the responsibility. So I, I don't know if you have anything to add to that. I don't want folks to get the wrong idea. You know, it was not all sunshine and rainbows and unicorns right. in the army. <laughs> there were a lot of arduous tasks. I did a 15 month deployment in Afghanistan as a brigade operations officer, which is. I was the operations officer for a 3,500 person uh, organization just south of Baghdad. 
It was a six and a half day a week job. I was living in a tent for 15 months. You drug yourself to the office some days. There were lots of PowerPoint slides and briefings and stuff that was not all that fun. But part of that goes back to the grit, which is the will to persevere and achieve long-term goals. And for me, making the organization successful and organizing it and synchronizing it and trying to get it to work as efficiently and effectively as possible, despite some of the mundane and things that uh, were not so fun, uh, was part of the challenge. I don't want your listeners to come away and go, hey, you know, Chris and David talked all day about only find the fun things and only do those things that you're really good about. Uh, there's some bad that go with that. You know, same even in, in my current job. I'm not the greatest salesperson. Uh, I struggle uh, with that. I wish I was better at it. I enjoy the writing books and working with clients and uh, teaching and trying to help them learn and grow. Uh, but the sales part uh, doesn't come easily or naturally. But right. as you would suspect, I, I buckle down and, and try to do my best at it. <laughs> yeah, you got to buckle down and do those things sometimes. We all do those things that we not, don't always give us passion or that we have to do. That or you just have to hire someone else to do it. And that's always, a, you know, when you start a new business, it's always a, a decision to make. When, you, when do you do that? So, you know, you mentioned sort of those tough times. But I think we all can kind of get through some of those tough times. You can get through those unbearable Times I remember, you know, when I started uh, one of my businesses back in 2001. I mean, I worked seven days a week. It was right after 9/11. It was in, you know, the worst time to start a business, and yeah, we made it work. Right, you had to work your tail off to reach your goal, and I would never want to do that again. But like we did it, and it was great. Right, you remember it fondly, even though it wasn't a good time. But yet, it was part of the journey. It was part of the what we had to do. So. We made a lot of mistakes along the way. I feel like that was a big learning curve. What about for you? I mean, were there areas where you feel like maybe you failed that were great, you know, learning experiences for you that kind of impact the work that you do now? A couple of interesting things, you know, um, it has been a great experience to stand up my own company. I'm, I'm, I was 49 when I stood it up. I'm 50 now, but it really stretched me in different directions. You know, I had to learn how to stand up a website. I didn't ever think I was going to be a blogger. I've, now blogged almost 150 uh, blog posts. There are things that I've learned during that process. One of the things I actually did was last fall, I put together a book. I tried to, to consolidate the blog posts into a book and it didn't go very well. And it was not really, it was not that good. And it took a couple of folks telling me that it wasn't that good, which I didn't really want to hear before I trashed it and gave up that idea. Uh, but then around... Uh, November, I had a client that I was working with say, hey, why don't you look at some of this grit stuff? And I looked at it and I came to the same conclusion as some other grit stuff that I'd looked at before, which was, hey, nobody really talks about how a process to sort of develop your grit, either as an individual or for an organization. And I think I've got some ideas on how to form that process uh, to help folks sort of sort through how do we accomplish our long range goals. And so then that was sort of the moment of inspiration, the lightning bolt, whatever you want to call it, the, that came in. And then I really had a, a focus on what to write. I took some of that stuff that I had used in the same way that I think that the mistakes that you made back in 2001 have influenced what you've done currently. But I took some of that stuff that I had trashed and thrown in the trash can, pulled it back out, rewrote it, reworked it, uh, edited it. And then it has ended up in the book uh, that came out here in, on July 12th. Tell us some more about that. I'm really fascinated to know if you developed a process here around around grit, because you're right. People talk about that a lot. And 
it's one of my pet peeves is for people to tell you how you need to do something, but they don't actually tell you how to do it. So maybe you can kind of go a little deeper with that. Right. Yeah. So I, I the problem I thought that folks had was um, they told you what grit was, how to measure it, who had it, who didn't, but they didn't really talk to talk a whole lot about how to how to develop it. And I think grit comes out of a couple of different things. The most important, of course, is purpose, which we already talked about. You know, if you are a, a gritty person, you do have a purpose. And then you develop a goal. And that goal has to be specific, it has to be measurable, and then it has mm-hmm. to be time-bound. One of the most interesting things that I found in the research that I did was, did you know that 92% of all Americans fail at their New Year's resolution? I'm surprised it's it's uh, even that high. I, yeah. I, I mean, I thought it'd be like 100 or 99% <laughs> fail. I mean, I'm glad there's 8% that are making it because it seems like everyone, like, just totally fails at those, but yeah. <laughs> right, right. No, you definitely see it at the gym. You know, if you're going to the gym in December, uh, it's packed oh. in January by about Valentine's Day. It's back to the usual suspects that were there yep. in December. It's just interesting that folks struggle to really uh, accomplish their long range goals. So once they have the goal, the biggest thing I think that they that folks have to do when they have that goal, though, I think folks throw down their New Year's resolutions, but then they don't ever take the next step, which is open up their calendar and say, okay, where is the time that I'm going to dedicate to pursuit of this goal? And that little step of at least putting it on the calendar, and maybe you miss it uh, you know, every other week or whatever you're trying to do, uh, but having it on that calendar and having it as a reminder is one of the surest ways you're going to at least make some progress towards that goal. There's some other things that, uh, that I think are super important, and I won't hit them all today, but I think one of the biggest things that holds people back uh, from accomplishing their long-range goals is fear dealt with a lot of fear in the military. Um, I like talking about, I was a paratrooper for my entire career. I did 102 parachute jumps uh, over over the course of the, the career. But the first jump was as scary as the 102nd jump. But the yeah. army does a great job of putting together these rituals and little procedures to help you manage that that fear. And I think folks have to do that same thing because if they're reaching for a gritty goal, you know, it's, it's usually something that's, that's pretty big. For you, it was standing up your first company. And I'm sure you had tons of fears and sleepless nights where, hey, can we really pull this off? You know, it's a horrible business market. All these reasons to sort of give it up, throw in the towel and go find that job, uh, you know, whatever, whatever was appealing to you at that point in time and, and not do it. Felt the same way during uh, writing the book, standing up my company. Uh, there's lots of fears to deal with, and I think that holds some folks back. One of the easiest ways is to try to list your fears, uh, and if you can list them and put them on, you know, in your little notebook or or on a piece of paper, and then take it the next step and to put a little note beside them each one and say, okay, this is how I'm going to mitigate my fear. And for me, when I stood up my own company uh, 18 months ago, the first thing I said was, hey, I'm going to do this for a year. And if it's not successful, you know, I'm standing up during COVID. It's not the greatest time to do a leadership and executive coaching company. Nobody's spending money on consultants, but I'll do it for a year and see how it goes. And so when I got back to March of 2021, I said, okay, well, I'll try it for one more year and we'll see, <laughs> we'll see, we'll see if we can make a go at it and do it even better this year uh, in, in 21 to 22 than I did last year. You said a lot of, a lot of great things. I want to make sure people, you know, really, we heard them, so we've kind of maybe summarized them in a different way, which was, you know, you got to book that time. So 
I love the concept of time boxing, you know, which is pick those two or three big things you need to do today and actually schedule them on your calendar, like literally block out time when you're going to do those big a level, or you want to call them a rock, you know, whatever those big things are, they're going to make a difference. Cause I think we fill our time full of a bunch of junk. And so we feel productive, but we didn't really get much done. You really talked about was listing your fears. And I look kind of love the way you, you talked about that. Similar to saying, you know, well, why would I fail? You know, you got to write out why would I be successful? What can I do? But you also have to be honest and say, well, I could fail at this. Why, if I did fail, why would that be? What, what things would happen? Right. Write those out. Those are this fantastic advice. I think sometimes to your point, we just want to avoid it. We don't want to assume it's not ever going to happen to us, right? And then we get all that fear. And then, yeah, it's easy to to sit on the sidelines and never take a risk than it is to go out there and maybe fail or make mistakes or look stupid. Or unfortunately, I think it just stops way too many people from doing probably far better work, far more enriching work, far more rewarding work. It sounds like you have done a lot over the years to probably bring yourself to this to this level. And you're probably, I'm going to assume average enjoyer of books. I see some behind you there uh, as well as your own. So, you know, is there a book maybe that besides your book that you typically suggest people check out or maybe one that you read recently you might also bring up for our audience? Yeah. Um, I, I, actually, I'm halfway through one uh, that I'd like to recommend. A friend recommended it to me. It's called Denali's Howl. And it's about an ill-fated mountain climbing expedition on Denali, also known as Mount McKinley, up in Alaska in the late 60s. I've gotten to the point where they've just crested, they've just made the summit and things don't go well as they, they come back down. I don't know how it ends, but I'm really enjoying it. It's a, it's a page turner. Uh, it's kept me, uh, I love John Krakauer's book on, uh, climbing Mount Everest, which, which came out, uh, quite a while ago. This one's a little bit more recent. Really enjoy it. Uh, I like the, the grit that these guys are showing, uh, as they, as they summited Denali in the, in the sixties. Well, this is why I love to ask this question, because I always get these really cool, amazing answers. I never knew about that book. And as someone who likes to climb a mountain from time to time, um, I, Denali was never really on my radar, but certainly I would love to to read that and learn more about that story. It's great. So I have no intention of climbing Everest, but I could go to base camp. I could be convinced okay. just to go to the bottom of the mountain to see, right? The risk to reward there doesn't seem to be quite there. For now, have you, done, have you done Kilimanjaro? Uh, that is on my list. That is actually the next one I'm planning. So I've done Fuji and I've done Whitney and I've done you know, some other ones. So awesome. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, Kilimanjaro is the next one officially being planned and coordinated. And we'll see when we sort of with COVID, we put it on hold. But uh, my son and I really enjoy doing it. My wife may actually be convinced to go. We'll see. So. Oh, that's great. Great family yeah. trip. I I have a 11 year old daughter. In a couple of years, we've got it on our list uh, to do. We've not moved as far uh, far into the planning process as you guys have. Yeah. But it's on well, my I, I know the guide has been recommended to me like five different people independently. So if you need any recommend, I not personally use it, but highly okay. recommended. I'm happy to tell you who who I'm going through. So <laughs> all right, no, that'd be helpful. Well, yeah. So how can people find out more about you? How can they get a hold of you or they're interested uh, in, in your book. Can you kind of give us all those details again? So my my website is the fivecoatconsultinggroup.com. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn. I cross post the blog posts on on LinkedIn uh, under David Fivecoat and also TFCG, uh, the company. Uh, the book is up on Amazon and available other places as well. Please, if if you're listening to this and you want to reach out, please, I'm more than happy to talk to anybody. Uh, so please uh, reach out. I'd love to talk to you and hear about your story. 
Well, David, thank you so much for being a uh, guest today on the Talent Talk radio show. I really learned a lot, and uh, thank you for all the hard work you're doing inside of coaching and talent management and, of course, uh, your time uh, in the armed services. We appreciate everything you, you've done for us here. So uh, hopefully we can have you come back at some point and give us an update on all the great stuff that you're doing. All right, Chris, would love to come back and, and talk to you again. All right, everyone, thanks for tuning in to today's show. Hopefully you've gained something you can use in your own career in a positive way. Until next time, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today. You've been listening to Talent Talk Radio, brought to you by People G2. 